Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Self Show. Um, if you didn't get to tune in last week, definitely have a listen to our episode from last week with Christine Berger. She so she's a psychologist that works specifically with founders and startups, and I found the episode really inspiring and quite thought provoking. She talks about how important communication is, and we all know communication is important, but what that does to motivate other people in the team, the psychology of founders and the mental health within businesses, which we know is an important subject. And she covers it really well. And I certainly took away a lot of learnings from it. So please do have a listen. Also, um, our stats are in and the most successful, most listened to podcast last year, no surprises, was the incredible Alex Dunstan. Um, Alex is, he's, he's a real mentor to me. And I I think of him really as a bit of like an investment wizard. Like he he's has such an inspiring attitude and view of why people should be doing things that we don't really hear elsewhere. And I like how candid he is when he talks about it. There's some stuff in there that I really recommend any founder or anyone starting a company listens to. And that's particularly about architecting your life backwards. Decide what are the goals you're trying to get to and then work from there. And it's really worth a listen. So I 100% recommend you take a listen to that if you haven't already. So also thank you guys for all the comments that you've put on YouTube. Um, we're currently recording season two and some of those questions that you put on there would definitely been asking some of the guests. And I really appreciate that. Um, and as per requested, we're getting more founder stories on. So next week we'll have some founders on who've been through um, exactly the journeys that we talk about all the time. So that's great. Thank you for making that question. Um, also, please do um, subscribe and like and share. That's what makes us successful and that's what helps us to grow. So I really appreciate that. So this week on the show, I've invited on a guy who... I've wanted to speak to you for such a long time. And actually, when I was initially raising money um, for my business, Stakester, I met with him and he was really helpful and he gave me some really great advice. The reason he's so great is because, well, I believe that if you're going to teach someone something and you're going to help coach someone through a journey, it really helps. It's not absolutely necessary, but it helps if you've been through it yourself. If you understand the pain of staying up late and trying to figure out how you're going to make payroll, that empathy is going to make you... I think, a better coach in many situations. Not always the case, but a lot of time it does. And the guy I've gone on today, Eamon Carey, has absolutely been through that. He was an incredibly successful entrepreneur and now he's the MD at Techstars, where he coaches an unbelievable amount of companies to be more successful. Um, on the episode, he explains what Techstars is and how it works. But what he also does in the episode, which I really like, is he talks about what is it that makes a good founder? What are the things you should be focusing on? What are the biggest mistakes that he sees founders make? Not only that, he also talks about what are great reasons to get funding, but what are also awful reasons to get funding and how should you go about that? And right at the end of the episode, he gives a little nugget about where he thinks the next really successful investments are going to be and the industries that startups should be focusing on. So absolutely well worth a listen. So look, I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, please you like, subscribe, share and leave your comments at the end. Thanks so much. Eamon, thanks so much for coming on the pod. I really appreciate it. Um, so look, as you know, here on the pod, we have a really core philosophy. And that is that if you have a passion for something and you're not happy with your life or what you're doing, you should control your own destiny. Say so you should raise stakes and you should try and turn that passion into something that can give you the life that you want. Um, and what we do here is we meet with people who have been through that process themselves, um, which I know you have, and I'm looking forward to hearing about that, 
and also to try and help people who have been through the same problems because there is a my, personally I'm going through it I've been through it there's a vulnerability there is a there's a it's, there's a it's hard <laughs> and yeah. trying to understand what the advice is and how people can help them from people like yourself is really valuable so that's what we're going to talk about but before we jump into that imagine we're on a first date tell me who you are <laughs> and what you do yeah, so I'm uh, Eamon Carey. I'm the managing director at Techstars here in London. Uh, so Techstars is the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. So we invest in companies all over the world. We put them through three-month accelerator programs, connect them with lots of amazing mentors, advisors, investors, and other people, and basically help them grow and scale and continue to support them throughout their, their life cycle. So we've done that now for close to 2,000 companies uh, wow. around the world. Um, uh, I've been uh, an angel investor myself for a couple of years before starting uh, with Techstars. So I'm running the London program now. Previously ran one of our programs in, in New York. And so, yeah, I'm like a startup enthusiast. I mean, look, I just really, I'm very lucky. I, I get to... You just love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I love technology. And it's know. exciting, right? Because, I mean, the great thing about being an angel investor is you always know what's happening next, right? You're just ahead of it. Well, well. <laughs> in, in theory, it means, look, it, 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 it means I buy a lot of books to make myself sound, you know, you meet someone and they kind of go, oh, we're, you know, working on autonomous drones and you go, oh, amazing. Yeah, tell me about all of these things. And as they talk about it, you're going, shit, like, I'm I, now, I need to this learn. is like, I now need to go and buy a whole bunch of stuff off uh, Amazon or go to Waterstones, buy as many yeah. things as possible so that when I go and have the next meeting with them, I'll be like, I was reading this article the other day that said X, you know, so you're kind of, uh, I like that. you know, leeching other people's expertise. That's really interesting. I, I think, um, I say it a lot. I think that being an investor, particularly angel, mm. is possibly one of the hardest jobs in the world because you have to do two things. You not only have to be an exceptionally good judge of talent, mm -hmm. but you also have to t try and see the future about where something's going to go. Mm. So do, what do you do? Do you, I mean, great question. What do you look for? How do you possibly figure out from the, you said two and a half thousand people come into Techstars, and that's not even people that you're investing in. You invested in other people on the side, I know. So how do you even, how do you even begin to figure out if it's a good bet? Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's a couple of different things, I suppose. You know, one of them is... I don't want you to give away your secret sauce. <laughs> I, I, wish there, I wish there was some formula that I could plug things into, but I think a lot of people pretend there is. I think for, for me, the... Um, the reality is, like, you look for a couple of different things, right? I think I am really interested in people who are interested in things, right? And so I look for people who have a strong sense of intellectual curiosity, people who are kind of really passionate about what they do um, and why they're doing it and, and, you know, where you can see a real founder market fit. Like, you know, the, the first company I started was because it was something that I was really passionate about. As I looked at it, I saw there was a massive gap in the market. And I kind of thought that combined with, you know, the understanding that I had, I was like, I can build something in this. Is it going to be a billion dollar company? I mean, I wasn't thinking like that at the time. I was like, here's a gap. I can do this. I'm really pissed off that other people are not doing it. And I have a bunch of people I know who might give me some money to do it. Like maybe I should figure out a structured way to do that. And so I love seeing people who have that really strong kind of fender market fit, that real passion for what they're doing people when you go and meet them and you have that initial coffee you can like you feel the energy fizzing off them and you kind of sit there going holy shit like i want to be part of this journey i see what you what you see or i see the way that you see the problem i understand the way that you're thinking about tackling it i see the way that you want to go about it yeah. um and so so much of it like i would say probably 
honestly, like at this stage, mostly what I do is kind of precede like very early stage, you know, the, the, the first year, year and a half of a company's life. 80% of it is, is the people, um, you know, because you're in a lot of cases, you know, you're investing in people where the product only kind of exists or it's very much a beta version of it or it's very much a version 0.01 of what v1.0 will be yeah. in a year's time and so a lot of what you're doing is going is this a good person right do they have the right amount of passion to actually follow through on this do they have people in the business with them that can help them execute you know so the, do they have a thinker and a doer or someone who can pitch and someone who can build you know and do they have the right mix of skill sets do they have the right resilience because this is a you know starting a company and going down this path of being a, a founder right is both the best thing that a lot of people will ever do but also the worst thing that a lot of people will do it is the smartest thing that a lot of people will do it's also the fucking dumbest thing that most people will ever do right because there are so many things that can go right and wrong and and you know the reality is not every business works out and you have to be kind of resilient and able to 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 deal with that and i think you have to have you know i think one of the reasons i do the job that i do and that i i have maybe the rapport that i hope i have with founders is because i have been that person like i could probably draw you a map of the wallpaper in my old bedroom from when i was running my first company because you would be awake at three o'clock in the morning looking at it going Am I going to make payroll? Like, is yeah. there going to be a Christmas for the, you know, the people on the team this time around? Or so have, tell, have we signed a contract? About, yeah, tell me about it. So the, what, what was that first first company? And that's quite unique. I think there's a lot of, just on that, I think there's a lot of people that call themselves, there's a lot of investors now who call themselves founders, mm. previous founders in inverted commas. What they mean is they were employee number 15 at a company within the first yep. year. Valuable. Really valuable experience. It's not the same as being the one who says, I'm going to go and do yep. this. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to back myself to make this happen. But you did that, which I think is really unique and fascinating. So what what was that first, what was that first company? Yeah, so so basically a, a really depressingly long time ago now, probably 15 years ago, um, I was a journalist. So I studied journalism in college, wrote for a bunch of newspapers and magazines. What were you writing on? Uh, everything. And it, I mean, back then, so, so my view was always, uh, and this stretched into the business, was that like you just took every opportunity that opened itself up for you and either you did well at it or you did badly, right? And if you did badly, then you probably just didn't do that again. And so I was I really- I love that. What, a be what better way is there to learn about yourself? Well, I mean, you're kind of A-B testing it, right? And so yeah. I kind of went, okay, I'll write, you know, do people, you know, what I wanted to write about was video games, entertainment, and, you know, international politics. And you all were of a these gamer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it, like, you know, and have been since I was since I was very, very small, which is kind of where the genesis of the business really, really came from. And so was doing a little bit of everything for anyone that would have me, including kind of websites and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And doing okay at it. So I got a job at the uh, Irish equivalent of the BBC called RTE, which is the big state broadcaster. I had a pretty decent gig there. Gig. I had like a, nice. you know, rate like I would read in whatever sports news on the radio and do music programs and stuff like this. So it was like, you you know, people could hear my voice, you know, hundreds of thousands of people listen to it every day. It was a very safe, steady, permanent contract, civil service job. Like I couldn't be fired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is not a bad, like in, in many respects, actually. Just for anyone who's listening, 
for RT, they can be fired. There's three reasons that you can be fired. Uh, you can take drugs live on the air. I'm not sure if you take drugs when it's pre-recorded. Does it, does it, does it depend on the class of drug? I don't know. I do, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know, actually. I suppose. Any kind of drug. I mean, if the chief legal officer of RT is watching, I'm kind of curious, actually. Um, you were not allowed to have sex in the studios, as far as I remember. And there was oh. uh, you couldn't climb. They have a huge radio tower outside the broadcasting house, uh, broadcasting center in, in, in Montrose in Ireland. Uh, and you weren't allowed to climb that, which, and to be fair, is quite illogical. you got fired for all three. Yeah, yeah, basically. The it same was, evening, it the was same just, event. You, re, you know, if you're going to go out, you know, you <laughs> might as well. Um, but I was, I was working for them. It was a, you know, effectively a, a, a job for life, which was the dream for for, for a whole bunch of different people. Um, but I was also kind of, you know, that was very traditional media. Um, and at the same time, I was kind of like, a, I guess, a child of the internet. Like, so, so my. Dad bought me my first computer when I was quite small, a Sinclair Spectrum 40AK. And he, he kind of used... classic. I mean, a gem, right? An absolute gem. And with, he, with the rainbow stripe in the corner. Yeah, and the yeah. rubber keys, the rubber right? Keys. And, and you could what? buy the magazine and it would have like literally the, the, you know, the code for games in the middle pages of the magazine. And I would sit there as a whatever, eight or nine-year-old and like type that out and execute it and alter it and change the colors and go, oh, this is interesting. And so learned the programming language basic and noodled around with computers through... Commodores and Amstrads and Ataris yeah. and Amigas. I mean, it used and to be PCs. on a cassette. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Halsey, did, why, Halsey, why did they get Halsey and Days? I love you know, the. I mean, it took longer to actually load the game from the cassette than to actually play <laughs> yeah, it, right? That's you know, true. It's taught me the value of patience, if nothing else. But yeah. so did it. Like, was always noodling around with computers, and we had a. Um, ISDN, like we had a 14.4 KB or 9600. Back in the yeah, day, back you in were the, a pimp. Right, we were living, were, the, living, the, living, were living, living the at dream. large, as it was. Um, yeah. And so, like, used to faff around on IRC and all of these kind of different things. So I was, basically lived, like, went to school in the morning, and it was really funny. I, I got my mum found all my school report cards this week, um, and they were not flattering, uh, because mostly I was like, I'm not really interested in what's happening at school. Like, I, I read I read a lot of books and still still do. Um, so I'd read a huge amount um, and was kind of conceptually interested in some of this stuff, but you know, so a lot of what we were doing in school just seemed very boring and not very practical. Um, like, well, I didn't... Relevant, you know? yeah, yeah, like, it's like, you know, now, it's yeah. nice to know what an oxbow lake is. I'm not sure that I necessarily need to spend, well, like, months and months and months on, on it, you know. And, and <laughs> it's, it's you know, that, that wasn't uh, what I was going to end up doing. Uh, well, maybe, who knows, but... Um, Anyway, long story short, the internet taught me a whole bunch of things, including, you know, HTML and CSS and JavaScript and all of these different things. So I build websites for people and, you know, do all sorts of little bits on online. And as I was working in these kind of traditional media organizations, I was saying, you know, you should be doing more stuff online. And this is kind of post... 99, right? This is post the first internet crash. So it's not like the internet was this kind of new, yeah. you know, amorphous thing. Like people knew it was there. They were yeah. just going, well, because it didn't work the first time, it's now not going to work again. And so I was saying, hey, we should be putting stuff like podcasting or we should be, you know, putting videos on, on the internet. Um, and everyone was kind of going, no, 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 like that's never going to take off. No one really cares about that. Like, you know, everyone has is buying HD TVs or big screen TVs. That's the, the way forward. And then in 2004, I went out to Korea to visit two friends of mine who'd gone out there to teach English after we'd finished college. And um, I was sitting on a train uh, and a guy came down and he sat next to me. And back then I had like a Nokia 3310 or something, kind of the like old, brick, the best yeah, you know, play snake, all this kind yeah. of stuff. And it would take you two hours to type a text message Correct. because it wasn't, in fact, pre-predictive text, right? So it was, it was quite like Morse code. Um, anyway, this guy sits there next to me and he takes out what looked like a kind of Onyx block. Uh, and he started watching Spider-Man on it. And I was looking at it going, uh, what? what? 2004? <laughs> like, yeah, right? Wow. I was like, holy shit, like, this is incredible. <laughs> what is that? And then he gets off the train, and then he made a call on it. And I was like, what? 
what just happened here? Like, this is exciting. You were like uh, the guy who traveled in time, who you know, like gone forward from the medieval period. Incredible. So, like, yeah. I'm amazed I didn't die, right? Of, of just sheer joy and excitement. <laughs> so I came back, and, and there were a whole bunch of other things that happened on this trip, but I came back going, this, what this guy just did is how everyone is going to consume media in the future, right? Like, it is going to be a default mode of, of, of communication, media, all of this kind of stuff. So I went back and I talked to a couple of people at my organization. They were like, eh, you know, I'm not sure. And then I had a bunch of friends who were working for big, like, ad agencies and PR agencies and all this kind of stuff. And they were like, oh, this internet thing, kind of interesting again, like audience numbers going up, broadband penetration increasing, but no one has any way for us to put any spend against it. And so in the the, the kind of, um, I suppose, style of saying yes to things, I was like, hmm, I have a bunch of people on this side who work for big companies with massive budgets who want to do shit on the internet. I really like the internet, right? And I know how to do shit on it. Maybe what I should do is figure out a way to join those two things up where I can take the passion that I have for the internet and the passion that I have for content and accept other people's extremely large budgets yeah. uh, to allow me to do that and effectively go, I'm only going to make the stuff that I really care about and I can build a business that will hopefully allow me to hire people to do a whole bunch of, of the other things. And so I get to follow, you know, I get to follow the things that, that, that I really love. And, and so I talked to a friend of mine and we started a company. Started and, a company, yeah, like that. Mm. I love that. I have this, this, um, this theory, you can tell me if it's absolutely bollocks or not, but I have a theory that every business starts with the sentence that starts with one of two phrases. Wouldn't it be cool if, or wouldn't it be better if? Yeah. And you seem to have created one that was, wouldn't it be cool if and better if? Yeah. So you had you had the holy the double there. And it was you know I th we were watching some I can't remember Dara who started the company with me. We were sitting watching a, a, a game in some bar in Dublin one night, and I think it was literally one of those conversations where yeah. I was like, this guy in Korea, and he was watching fucking Spider Man on his phone <laughs> on his on a phone, yeah. like you know, mind. And now you think. That's so dumb that you would, you know, that that's like the equivalent of, you know, someone doing cave paintings. But same uh, thing in your time, isn't it? It's like you can imagine someone being like that when someone first said, I wish you could order a cab on your phone. And they're like... Yeah. And I remember hearing people talk about, you know, that kind of idea and going... I don't know. Is that like? Do, is, is that, that really? Is it going to help? You know, surely you just want to stand aside and you put your arm put, up. Yeah, and then you do it for the first time, and it's like magic, um, and you see the the car approaching you, or you know, so all of these things and. I think that's where I got that appreciation from was, you know, the idea that you can, you know, will, not necessarily will a business into existence. I think in our case, it was mostly just a confidence of being the right place at the right time and, and having the right I think there's always that. I mean, I always think, I mean, I'm, I don't believe in that sort of, um, you, I, I always think that people create their luck by making sure that they have enough ideas and they're working hard enough for their skill sets. They, you know, when the time comes, you're ready. Do you know what I mean? Rather than they happen to be the right place at the right time. Like you have to have the skill set in the first place, you know? And I think, look, that's, that's been true for me across a whole bunch of things. Like that was true when I became an angel investor, right? I wasn't ready. You know, when I did that first business, we did really, really well for, you know, for, for quite a while hired people, worked with like massive, you know, Nike and Adidas and Diageo and, you know, all of these it's kind a big of like brand for your first massive, gig. massive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our first, our first client was three, right? The, 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 the first people that we worked with. Wow. Um, and the deal was, you know, it was close to a million quid was the first deal that we did. Like, and, and this is, you know, the, 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 and one of the reasons that I'm kind of so passionate about what I do at Techstars now is we, back then there was no, you know, in Ireland, there's still not a huge number of investors, but there were no, 
accelerators, investors, any of this kind of stuff. Like there, there, there was no medium. I couldn't. There was no quora that I could go to 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 read. You know what to do. We just. I was really lucky that there were some good people that that I had connections with, and that Dara, my, my my colleague, had had connections with that we were able to talk to. But like we didn't have a clue what we were doing. And and I remember sending sending an email going, the price for this is is going to be you know it was about eight hundred and ninety grand plus you know dot dot dot. And I was like, oh, plus fat. That's actually over a million quid, um, which was just an incomprehensible oh, that, amount that was of, of money. Four, five? Five, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's an insane amount of money. <laughs> or hubris, right? I don't know yeah. which, but, you know, and they said, I mean, after a bit of negotiations, admittedly, uh, they said yes, right? And we we did the deal with them, and we did deals with other big organizations. And, yeah, it was, it was just one of those things that, you know, I think now I look back in that and go, there were a whole bunch of, people, you know, parents, friends, family, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and you know, I suppose what now we would consider mentors or advisors who helped an awful lot with with that happening. But at the same time, like, I kind of look back at it and go, the absolute audacity that I had as, you know, whatever, 20, 26 or 25-year-old me to go, yeah, that's a million quid. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're sat, like our office was uh, Dara's, but he had a picnic uh, table bench in his back garden and that was our office. Which, um, knowing that you come from the windiest and wettest country in the world, <laughs> it was a it was a long September that year. That's all I could do. We were pretty glad, pretty glad of the good weather. But you know, th- th- this is one of those things that you know now, as I talk to founders, as I talk to, to people who are starting company, like you, you're never going to you know unless you tell someone that something is going to cost this much money, you're never going to know if they say you don't know. yes or no, right? And, and then you're gutted when they say yes because you should have asked for more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Well, I mean, I did. The, I talked to someone a while ago who. Um, who sold their company, they said the worst conversation they've ever had was about two years later. Um, they talked to the person who had signed the check and the person said, you know, you could have asked us for twice oh, that much and we would have paid it. And I was like, you know, that's actually a really horrible thing to say to someone. Like that's, you know, and, I, yeah. and this person was like, look, they made some money, they did well, they're now kind of, you know, in a position where they don't necessarily have to work anymore. But then they were like, well, I could be in a position where I definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, know, I get that. Where like at least yeah. two other people I know don't ever have to work anymore or whatever. It's so interesting. It's, but I it's, that does hurt. There's three things you said there that I um, I found really interesting and I want to drill into a bit more. So what I'm taking from that is that kind of there's two, maybe there's sort of three core skill sets that you exhibited in that process. One was you had the confidence, you know, you had the audacity to say, do you know what, actually, I'm going to give this a go, okay, which I think is what we're all about here because – but the reason that you had that confidence is because unbeknownst to you, probably at the time, you'd spent an inordinate amount of time previously building both a support network and a network to go after. Yep. And it feels to me, and then sort of the the third piece was you were an expert. Mm. You, know, you were an expert in yeah. that particular field. Like you'd, you, you knew, you knew what you were passionate about. You had done the research to understand if you were capable of doing it. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting. But the thing that really I'm finding really interesting there, and you've, you've mentioned it a few times is that that support network is such a, something that I think that people really sort of um, forget about, you know, and they don't realize like, cause what you've done is you've said that so you've got, it doesn't work out you can go back to your job. That's your first yeah. support network. Like if it does, this doesn't work, the reality of it is if I don't do this, no, lose yep. a year, who's going to not employ me? No one. Like, do yep. you know what I mean? It's fine. I'll just go back and get another job, right? Yep. Secondly, you've got like, 
but then you had the you had the customers, you had mm-hmm. the people you could go after, and so that gave you that security as well. Yep. So that's so. Would that be your advice to? I guess you probably I don't know, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. But would it be just just network the fuck out of things? Just make sure. Yeah. You be- like I think you know the 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 reality is you've got to you know without raising capital, deciding to start a business, you know any of these different things, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs, right? And I think yeah. if you're gonna like I definitely and the, the thing as well is like kind of whatever fifteen years ago. Starting a business was a thing that basically really crazy people did back home. Like it was not a thing that you did as a nowadays. Like starting a company, lots of people do it, and it is, you know, it's it's by no means easier to to do it, but it's certainly a little bit more normalized. Um, and so I think you have to have, you know, I mean, I remember telling my parents, I was like, hey, so this job for life that I have, where I'm on the radio all the time, I've decided to quit that, and I'm going to start a company doing stuff for the internet. You know, and then my parents were used to me coming up with all sorts of harebrained schemes. So, you know, thank you so much <laughs> to them for being so supportive. But I was, you know, I, I recognize the privilege that that's given me to even be able to have that that conversation. Yeah. So I think that that's one big thing. I think I definitely wouldn't have started the company if it, it had just been I really like the internet and I want to do something on it. If I didn't have the far side of that of my friends going, hey, you know. I'm working with Nike and Adidas, and they're wondering how to do more. So I was like, "All right, it feels like there is some money." You've, and you found a problem. Yeah, you don't identify the really. And also, at a certain point, we, we'd run the numbers enough that I knew that even if we just did a bunch of kind of really simple things for some of the people that I knew, there was enough money to pay me that would allow me to pay my rent for at least a year. So we, you know, we didn't kind of have external capital or any of that kind of stuff. It was like, I was quitting my job, I was putting my savings into doing the company. And then effectively, we on day one, kind of had to start generating revenue to sustain ourselves because we had like these net 120 and net 180 payment terms and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, from from very early on, we had to generate revenue to, to keep the lights on because there was, you know, there wasn't going to be any external investment or certainly we never believed that there would be. So if I didn't think that there were people on the other side of that equation, I wouldn't have started the company. And I think that's true for the companies that I look at now to go, you know, if I meet someone and they go, hey, I've decided to do, you know, water in a can, great. All right. How many people have you spoken to that want water in a can? None. All right. Why do you want to do it? It was like, well, I read an article about water and people really like drinking it. And, you know, sustainability is interesting. So I decided to put something in an aluminium can. It's like, is that a business that you're going to invest in? You know, maybe yeah. not. Whereas Are if, you saying that we shouldn't be getting the water in a can? I think water, well, I mean, I presume <laughs> they've done some market analysis other than, you know, so. I mean, it's the only place I've ever seen is in this studio. And what, well, I mean, in fairness, they have, um, they've water in a box uh, that I've seen somewhere else. And there is, uh, a company in in California called Liquid Death that is water in a can with a nice label on it. So you know, there's, there's obviously we'll, we'll see how it works out. Yeah, I mean, I guess we literally die without drinking water. So that you know, the delivery <laughs> mechanism is is try, is, a, to, is the variable. You're trying to sell the idea for them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right? So you, you know, um, always be closing. But I think it's it's yeah. one of those things of of having understanding that there is a demand for what you're building because the worst mistake that I've seen people make is going. I'm going to build a white elephant because I believe that there are people who are going to buy it on the far side. And I'm not willing to ask if there's anyone out there or if there's a market for it because I'm nervous that if I say my idea out loud, someone will steal it from me. I, I love that. And I know, I've heard you write about that before. It's just that there is people just smoke hopium and they're like, I've just, I've got this most amazing idea. And the reality is if you have a good idea, a hundred other people are having the idea at the same time. It's yeah. just, have you got the capacity to execute it better than they have? Yeah. Don't be so afraid all the time about it. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? 
making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Something you mentioned there, and I, I know this is something you're big on and I'm 100% on the same page, is we seem to have fallen into this weird <laughs> glamorization specifically in the UK. And maybe I think it's driven a little bit by the US and particularly by things like TechCrunch and Crunchbase. The people feel like if I haven't raised any money, I'm not a success. Yeah. You proved previously you didn't raise any money and you were a success. But weirdly, you're now in this position where your core skill set is raising money for people and giving yep. people money. But it's a weird uh, it's a weird dichotomy for you, isn't it? Because, well, you tell me, like, what is your view on on that glamorization that people have at the moment? Because whenever you meet a startup, they always say, you get this, they say, oh, we're funded. Yeah. You're like, well, every business should be funded. Yeah. But ideally by its customers, right? <laughs> and, and for what, right? Like, I think this is always the, the, the question that I ask companies. It's like, oh, you're, you're going to raise capital? Great. Like, what, what's that? what's it for you know i think or, or why why are you doing it yeah you know i think you know we were again lucky that i had savings lucky that i had some people lined up who were potentially going to be clients so that we yeah. could go into the business and it was a bit de-risked um you know but i think the the reality is with with a lot of people it's like well if you're going to go out and raise capital, there's a couple of things. Like that comes with a cost, right? It's easier in the earlier stages because you're getting angels in or you're getting pre-seed funds in or you're getting people in who have maybe different um, criteria in terms of the the outcome of, of that investment. Um, but certainly as you get into kind of bigger seed rounds, Series A, Series B, et cetera, et cetera, like y- you are getting on a treadmill from which there is, you know, one of two exits, one of which is that you zoom off the treadmill and go kind of supersonic can make piles of money via an, an IPO. The other one is the treadmill gets too fast and you fall on your face and you're dead, right? Um, and that's the challenge is that I see a lot of companies at the moment going, I'm kind of raising money because I have to uh, or because I feel I should rather than I'm raising money because I have to because raising this amount of capital will allow me to bring in two people to do X and three people to do Y and that will allow us to turn our product from something that this number of people like to something that this number of people will like. And where I see that logical progression, I think it's great. Where it's like I'm raising $10 million just because I can, that makes me a little bit nervous because, you know, it's, and I've seen this happen with, with so many companies where it's great to have a massive bank balance but again, the people who are giving you that money are going to come to your board meeting after, you know, probably the second or third board meeting after they give you the money going, why are you not spending that fast enough? You know, and if you're not growing fast enough, one of the challenges you have is depending on the size of the, the fund, you may be one of, you may be one of one bet, you know, one bet that that partner makes in, in a year, you might be one of four, you might be one of five. And if you stop being the shiny object that's growing, then, you know, the kind of eye of Sauron goes in a, a, different, a different direction, direction yeah. right? And, and all of a sudden then you can kind of be left in a situation where 
you know, your board meetings are a lot less fun and a lot more fractious and where people start kind of going, you know what, is this the right leadership for the organization? You know what, maybe what we should do is talk to the corp dev people at this fund and or, or at this firm. And actually what that company needs is just some breathing room. Maybe they're just not ready to scale yet. Maybe they're just not ready to, you know, get to 10 million in revenue. Maybe they're ready to be a sustainable business for a couple of years and get to a point where then they can hit their hockey stick or whatever. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is, this is one of the challenges is, you know, and I think Paul Graham uh, from from Y Combinator had a tweet about it a while ago. He was like, you know, if I were starting a company today, I would say, do you know, do a, an accelerator program. He said YC. Obviously, I would say do tech stars. Um, go and raise like half a million quid. I would say probably somewhere between half a million and a million quid, and then lock yourself in a room and build a product that people really want, and build something that's scalable and and uh, and sustainable. And at a certain point, then the VCs start knocking on your door and you can define the terms of your relationship with them a lot more. Yeah. Right? And that's very easy to say, like, oh, blase, build a company people want and, and start selling stuff. But that's the reality. Like, you know, otherwise... And also, like, in fairness, I mean, you know, if you're not building a product that your customers want, then what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, the sub when you've been there. Yeah. I think the risk, you know, and I'm resonating some of the things you say there because... You've got enough pressure when you start a company. Like, let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. yeah we've both been there, and it is fucking hard. Yeah, it's emotional. You, you have to pay your own taxes. Yes. Like, this was the bit. <laughs> yeah. This was the really shit. You have to do your own books. Turns out taxes and accountancy, massive pain in the arse. <laughs> I like all of these things. You and who to, knows how to do it? Yeah. No, exactly. and, uh, you know, is there, is there, there, there are at least a little few more books now, but it's still a bit of a black box for people. Like, all of the, oh, you have to hire someone. How do you fire someone for the first time? I know. I didn't, I, I didn't know how to fire someone for the first time until I fired someone for the first time. And it's a really shit experience. And right? Yeah. And so I, all well, of I these think, things. I, I say this also, I think that one of the best, the, the, the core skill set of a founder, well, there is, you have to be crazy resilient. You have to be blindly optimistic. Yeah. And you have to be the most awesome judge of talent. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, that firing people is a tough gig and you yeah. don't want to have to do it. But I think you like, it's it's one of those things where if you bring on a big investor like a VC and their motivation isn't aligned with yours, you've mm. got, you basically got a shitty customer. Mm. Do you know I mean? Because it's not like, because you're no longer doing stuff to service your customers, which has got to be your core focus. It's yeah. got to be, you've got to be outside in. That's where your focus is going to be. But all of a sudden, you've got this other person here who's like, well, no, I want you to go quick. And you're like, well, I, I don't know if that's going to work for my customers. I'm yeah. going to start diluting value. I'm going to start. Um, I don't know if the, I guess this is a question for you because you've done it and you see so many. Like, why would you start a business anyway? Like, what are the good reasons to do it? I think if you've got, you know, I think if you've got a real passion for something, like, I tell you what, I love meeting people who go, I worked in industry. I was a lawyer for 20 years and I had to do this thing every day and it drove me nuts. And one day I talked to a mate of mine who I went to college with and we decided to start a business and solve for this problem. And I know lots of lawyers and and I can start selling it straight away. Like where you've seen, where there's an itch that you can scratch with your business, amazing. Yeah. Where you can go, you know, we're building a computer vision company that is going to allow us to analyze all of these different things. And we're starting it because actually, you know, myself and my three co-founders did our PhDs together at Cambridge. We understood this was a huge market. And then our CEO came along and said, hey, you know, I have been in this industry for years and I can help you commercialize it. Like, you know, where there is a real founder market fit, where there is a real 
passion where you wake up in the morning and something really annoys you to the extent that you're like, oh my God, I need to do something about that. And for me, this was like, why are we not doing more stuff on mobile? Why are we not doing more stuff on the internet? Why are people not paying attention to what I felt was going to be the default medium of, of communication in the future? And I think lots and lots of people wake up with that every day. And it's looking at those types of businesses and going, all right, now do I have that resilience? Do I have the, you know, the, the ability to get the the ball rolling? Do I have all of these kind of other things I need to actually get something going? Is this going to be, and then I think you've got to ask, like, what sort of business is this going to be, right? Do I, is this the type of business where I want to grow it to 10,000 people and raise, you know, capital from, from lots of different people? If so, fine, there are paths and trajectories that you can go on. Is it a business where you want to go, no, you know, what? actually, I want to retain, you know, 70, 80, 90% control over the business. I want to be in control, you know, ma- you know master, mistress of my own yeah. uh, destiny. Uh, and I want to kind of be able to move things the way that I want. And maybe I'd just do an SEIS or an EIS round, or I bring some, you know, small investment in to get the the ball rolling, but my focus is very much on, on on growing through through revenue. Or, you know, and there's a whole bunch of others. Like I see an increasing number of people kind of going, all right, can I start a, you know, a side hustle? Like, is there something I can do on the side where, you know, evenings and weekends, I can scratch that itch by going, I'm going to, you know, have a store on Etsy or I'm, I'm going to do, you know, uh, the, the best pop-up Philly cheesesteak place in London because oh that's God. what I'm passionate about. Well, if someone's not doing that, do it. There is a vegan yeah, uh, Philly cheesesteak place that actually opened around the corner for me. That I really, That's why it's stuck in my head. Where not that it? I'm a where, vegan. Where is it? It's on Holloway Road called uh, Jake's Vegan uh, Steakhouse, I think. Jake's Vegan Steakhouse. Uh, Jake's Vegan something or other on Holloway Road. Uh, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge. And I'm not a vegan. I'm just curious. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm curious by a vegan cheesesteak. I'm, I'm not not a vegan. I'm a vegan, but I didn't inhale. Or what, I don't know what the, <laughs> the appropriate phrase for that is. But um, So I think there's, there's, lots of, there's lots of options for people starting companies nowadays, right? Like, I think there are a bunch of different ways you can do it, of which I would suggest the VC route into which I'll bundle myself at times as well. Although I do think that, you know, accelerators and angel investors have slightly different um, and, and probably pre-seed and seed investors have maybe slightly different incentives sometimes than some of the kind of later kind of growth stage um, yeah. investors and, and different outcomes matter. Like if you raise a series A or series B, you know, you're going to be one of those companies that needs to return a billion dollars to help the fund invest it, you know, make a huge return. If you're an angel investor and you put 50 grand into a company and that company gives you back a hundred grand in, in five years, or 10 years, it's going to be an awful lot better than putting it into the bank. So actually, that's yeah. a really good return. And so people's return profiles vary based on, on the stage that are at. And I would say actually that, you know, let's call it, you know, angel, accelerator, early stage investor route, plus the VC route is probably the one that maybe 10% of companies on earth could and, and, and should go down. The vast majority of the others, you grow it th- through revenue, you grow it through, you know, you talk to the the bank, you talk to, you know, a whole bunch of other people to to get the ball rolling on it. And and maybe you'd never need to to raise capital. Mm. You know, now you obviously there's been an explosion in crowdfunding. There's lots of different ways that people can get money into businesses, whether it be Kickstarter, Cedars, any of those other places where in some cases it's dilutive, in some cases it's non-dilutive. So there's lots of different ways that people can start companies. And I would just caution anyone who's you know watching or listening to this and thinking about starting a company, like which of those outcomes do you want? You know, because if 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 you want to be, you know, on on that VC roller coaster, it is, it is so exciting. It is incredibly good fun. It is amazing to be a part of it. And that trajectory and that energy and that velocity is, you know, it's 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 like a drug, right? It's it's, it's addictive. It but incredible. it only works 
a handful of the time. Right. When you're on that roller coaster and uh, and it's not working, it's like being on a roller coaster with no seatbelt and you're kind of hanging on for dear life in the safe knowledge that you're almost certainly going to get thrown off at some point. Yeah. And that is not an outcome that I would want for a, a lot of business owners. Like having been the owner of a, I suppose what some people would call a startup, but I still in my head kind of think about it as almost like a small business um, or SME or whatever. Uh the, you know th- that roller coaster outcome for a lot of people is is not what they should want nor what they really need um and i think you're right you know there there is this bunch of documentaries and websites and all of these different places that you go and you look at and and see and think yes raising you know it's almost like oh raising 10 million quid is is going to you know solve all the problems that i have it's like you know i mean maybe the smalls it's like more money more problems right yeah. you know so i think that's the that's the challenge that you know, the irony is kind of money comes with a cost and that is, and sometimes that's the people that you end up working with, right? We've also seen plenty of instances where, you know, investors, be the angels or, or others have been a, you know, toxic addition to, to a company. And if you're going to take a, a, you know, an investor on board, you know, it's a bit, you're going to be stuck with them for five or 10 years. You're going to have to talk to them all, that, talk to them a lot. Like, you know, it's crazy. And I always think um, the best analogy I heard of this is like, um, would you ask a woman to marry you? after going on four dates. Yeah. You no, know, but you are expected bonkers. to ask a VC to be in a relationship with you for five years yeah. after seeing them four times. Yeah. You know, it's just nuts. Um, that's really uh, that's really insightful. And I'm, I'm a lot of that has resonated and I can definitely appreciate it. I think a lot of people can as well. So look, coming to the final bit of the show, but before we, we jump in, you, I wanted to make some people who listen to this bazillionaires right now because you <laughs> you predicted the future <laughs> in the past. Yeah. Okay. What's next? Where where's where's the smart money? Where's the right place to? You, I know you, you did this great article in 2017 where you were like, um, "Don't raise for this particular reason or that particular reason unless you've got some secret source or something." I've done a paraphrase, which is. AR, VR, AI, or ML, mm. or something like that. It's going to be a two-word, a <laughs> two-letter abbreviation. Yeah. But like, wh- where do you think? Where's where's the where's the smart where's the market going? Where's the smart money and the smart tech at the moment? I mean, there's there's you know there are a whole bunch of of far smarter folks than I who who can um, who would who would have very contrary uh, opinions. You know, the things that Dude, I'm I like what you're doing here. You're caveating just in case. Yeah, you, know, you got to do it right. <laughs> like I, I used to do a, a series of predictions every year in a blog of like what was going to happen that year, and it was usually about twenty percent. Twenty percent is not bad. Yeah, well, I mean they were very general. Like, you know, <laughs> like, it will it will rain during the year. You know, <laughs> someone will die, someone will be born. Um, but it was so. I think the 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 things that I'm personally interested in, which which I can probably speak to a little bit more, is I still think there are big opportunities in food, both from a what we eat, uh, you know, so... so Not what I expect you to say. Plant-grown, lab-grown meats, all this kind of stuff, how we eat it, uh, how it's delivered, you know, where we eat it, all this. I think the whole world of, of what we consume and how we consume it is still wide open territory. I mean, you look at the, the pop and the, the excitement that Beyond uh, Meat has gotten from, from their IPO earlier this year. You know, like, I think we're... I don't know if the wave is cresting yet, but like the the wave is 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 coming. Um, so that area I'm I'm really excited by and have invested in in quite a few companies in. Um, 
I think computer vision and machine learning uh, in in general is is starting to become more practical and manifest. I think for a long time it was, you know, the the promise of doing something interesting was was enough for people to raise money. Now we're seeing like real companies with real solutions to to real problems making revenue um, yeah. rather than, than than publishing papers, which is which is brilliant. Um, I think. The one that I've been excited by, but I'm, I'm still struggling to, to find companies doing stuff in, so if you're doing it, please let me know, um, is is technology for, for older populations. Um, and I don't mean, I think the challenge I've seen in this market is there's a lot of people building things that are like a large block that your granny wears around her neck that makes a shrieking noise if she falls over or sends you a text message going, you know, your granny has fallen over. Um, I don't know that anyone wants that. I think actually what I look at is there is a group of people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and even into their 80s in many cases that have worked with computers that have you know had tablets smartphones like all of these kind of things where technology can enable them to have a better quality of life maybe you know uh, better ability to to stay home longer better connectivity you know the the challenge that we have around loneliness not just in in this country but but but, but many others you know there are some really interesting opportunities in that market and the bit that kind of just keeps sticking in my head is I meet a whole bunch of people building technology for 16-year-olds who have no money. I meet very few people building things for 60-year-olds who, in many cases, own their own homes, have a pension, you know, have money and, and are willing to spend it, right? And I think there is a whole range of solutions that are that are waiting to come to market that enable people to have healthier and, and happier lifestyles as they get older and you know aging populations are just going to become a more yeah. you know it's, it's it's the new normal right people are going to live longer hopefully um you know and 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 hopefully in tandem with that continue to have a really good quality of life i mean i know that's what i want like you know simply become aware of the fact yeah. that i'm getting older and, and at a certain point i you know i don't want to wear a block around my neck that so, you know, so says you have fallen over sorry that's a really interesting point you make well i mean yeah everyone who starts a company it's always like i'm targeting this thing target the and yeah no one's trying to sell I mean, but you know my, my parents will watch this and, yeah. and listen to this and i'm really sorry for categorizing them in, in the technology for older people <laughs> thing but we can talk about it over christmas dinner I'm, i'll bring a nice bottle of wine but um i think it is really important to kind of think about you know we see a huge range of, of technology solutions going after you know very small segments of the market which you know in in total maybe comprise a single digit percentage or you know a couple of single digit percentages of the overall world there is still you know there are billions of people coming into the kind of global economy uh you know using smartphones engaging in in lots of different places around the world there are lots of people who you know are are growing older who have had an interaction with the internet probably every day for the last 20 or 30 years or with a computer or they have smartphone or smart TVs in their house like there are all of these kind of things out there that will you know IoT like the, the list goes on to just go here is a market where there is brand loyalty where there is retention where there are subscription opportunities you know lots and lots of other things we have this phenomenon like people don't live as close to their families as they used to it's not like you know 50 or 60 years ago where you kind of lived you know, up the road from your parents in many cases. Like I live, uh, admittedly, not too far of a, a flight home, but it's still far enough that you'd notice it if something uh, goes wrong. So I think there are all of these things that are that are kind of waiting to happen. And, and a lot of what I see being built in this sector at the moment feels a little bit like a blunt instrument or is a kind of marketplace for carers or, you know, and, and those are good, valid uh, businesses. But I, I also kind of go, 
who's doing, and there are a handful more so in the States, there are a handful of people doing kind of direct-to-consumer products for for that population. I know uh, Alexis Ohanian, who started Reddit, uh, you know, part of their investment thesis and initialized capital, his fund is is looking at kind of aging populations, and there are a few others kind of looking at that area. But for me, for the last three or four years, it's been something where I've been kind of going, I, I really actively want to make more investments in this space. I'm just not seeing the deal. And maybe that's just because people are not feeling that itch. You know, maybe it will take a bunch of entrepreneurs in their 50s to start or 50s and 60s to start this company um, because maybe, you know, and, and it's understandable, right? If you're 28, you may be not necessarily as concerned about what's going to happen when you're 65 as when you're 63 and thinking yeah, about it a little yeah. bit more kind of yeah. cogently. Um, but I think that, you know, for me is, is I mean, as you can tell, right, it's, it's an area that I'm really passionate about and one where I wished that I saw more stuff. So those are ones. And then look, I, you know, I, I ran a games company for a couple of years. I know that industry really well. So I'm excited by what's happening in AR and in VR. Like I bought, you know, I've, I've had a bunch of different Ocu Oculus, Oculi headsets. Um, That's the <laughs> this was a Latin education. So thank you very much, uh, school. Um, but um, I think now with the Quest in particular, like the kind of standalone headset, the quality is good enough that it's it's almost ready to have its kind of Christmas moment where the price point is still slightly too high for people to, to buy it en masse. But I would hope that by next Christmas we will be at a point where VR headsets will be the kind of, hey, it's 150, 200 quid. And that's the step. That's when it happens. Yeah. That's when it booms. Because you look at it like, I mean, when I, you know, when we were doing the, the company, whatever, 15 years ago, I used to go to this Mobile World Congress, which back then was in Cannes and then moved to Barcelona every year. And it was just like Nokia and Ericsson, all the mobile, you know, whatever, bigwigs of the world together for a four-day shindig of, of extreme tedium, uh, unfortunately. But it was in Barcelona, so there was, there was some upside. Yeah. Um, it definitely was delicious, actually. Mm. Um, but what was really interesting was, the, first of all, the year that the iPhone was announced, Apple weren't there, and people were like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Um, and Android came along, and there were, you know, you, there was pockets of it, and it was still quite expensive. But over the kind of period, I would say 2008 through 2010, as you went, there were all of these kind of handset manufacturers hidden in the back halls who were doing handsets. So you would go one year, and it would be like, 300 quid, you next year, 200 quid. And I remember we went at one point, like right the way into the kind of bowels of the FIRA where the, the conference used to be held. And there were people doing $50 Android phones. And this was like, I don't know, 2010, maybe 11. You kind of went, right, this is now, billions of people have the ability to, yeah. to, to buy this. It's no longer a 700 quid iPhone where it's a you know, tiny percentage of the world's population can own it. I think VR will have a similar trajectory. Like as we start to see more and more of those kind of you know, what were handset manufacturers pivot into maybe doing some more VR stuff, you will start to see those headsets coming down fairly precipitously in price. Likewise, when AR headsets go from being the kind of magic leap, which is quite cool at the moment, but a bit bulky and not, you know, not the most beautiful, but is if you try it on and go, this is a V1 version or a very early version, like the first iPhone was not very good, right? It looked great, but it didn't work particularly beautifully like it was kind of barely functional if you held it in the wrong way you couldn't make phone couldn't calls make phone like calls all of these types that, of yeah. things so if you think about that versus what we have now with the the you know the x or the 11 that they announced today um you know it's an order of magnitude change admittedly in, in a 12 year period but if you kind of think about the same thing where we're at now with magic leap versus where we'll be in five or ten years where we're at now with oculus quest versus where we'll be in two or three like that world and, and gaming on VR, you know, for like my, when I brought the Quest home, my wife was like, oh God, this is like one of these things where she's like just another stupid purchase that you've yeah, made. Yeah. Um, 
and then she put it on and started playing the Rocky, the Creed boxing game. Did she win? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I mean, I would not, I mean, in general terms, wouldn't get in her way anyway, but uh, definitely <laughs> after seeing the boxing game. And you can see, right, she took it off. It was like amazing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You have that, you know, the first time I tried VR, I was kind of skeptical about it, but hopeful. I'm hugely skeptical of boxing games on VR. And then I tried it and it was like amazing. Then you do the boxing games. Like I did it and I was like, you could feel it here and here the it's next good. day. Like, you I, know. I bet it's really exciting. Yeah, There's yeah. only one problem with that because your hand never stops. Yeah. You make impact. Yeah. You need to do it in front of a punch bag. Haptic, right? So we met a couple of companies in Korea recently that are working on haptics that will kind of give you you know, it's a wearable that oh, will so give you, you a shock. Get, you won't get the full feel, not yeah. yet. Like I think there, there are people looking at different ways of doing that. Wow. Unfortunately at the moment it's more likely to break your hand rather than give you the effect but there are people looking at kind of you know there are body suits that people have been able to wear where you can play quake or do when you feel like you know you I get mean, shot here I and mean, here the, you know. let's, let's invest but that's you know a couple <laughs> of years that's that you know if you think about it what is the arcade you know used to go to the Trocadero when I came over to London as a kid you would go to the arcade and play every game right? like what is the arcade going to look like in, in two or three years like yeah. we've invested in a couple of companies in the States you know Two Bit Circus and a couple of others that are doing like reimagining what that experience looks like and it's fascinating because it is going into these immersive worlds you know they the Star Wars one at um, Westfield last year where you put the headset on it was like walking around in a mission in Star Wars we had a company on Techstars a couple of years ago that was like this little kind of almost like a playpen that you strapped yourself into and you could walk around in it you know you stayed in one place but you know you could move around and kind of crouch that's and incredible so all of these types of things are starting to and I think it's really together. great actually you know I'm um I I'm I'm into gaming you know that yeah. I'm only gaming company um but we I'm there's something about it which I think has always got this stigma. It's like you're sitting down. Yeah. I love this transition where like your companies are trying to find a way to to get rid of that stigma. Imagine if you could go and play tennis with your mates. Yeah. Right. Okay. And you could just do it with anyone all over the world from your home. I, I played the Star Wars, the Darth Vader, uh, Vader Immortal game on, on the Quest. And, uh, you know, it's like a 20, I don't know, 20, 25 minute experience, maybe slightly less, 15, 20 minute yeah. experience. I took it off afterwards and I was like, I'm actually going to have to have a shower, like you're, because so, the experience is so real, and so amazing. as well, and yeah. you're like flailing yeah, around with a lightsaber amazing. and all this kind of stuff. Like you come out of it, it was like, <laughs> I mean, it's a bit embarrassing. You're like, oh, thank God, there's. And unfortunately, I had the curtains open, so it was like the neighbors could see me wearing the hat, and you know, um, <laughs> I, like but, that. I mean, you know what? You, but you, you had know, a good time. I enjoyed. Look, I I took off. I was like, if you actually, if you were to do that for 20 minutes every day, that's good. You know, you close. I close my rings on my watch for uh, at a, that's at a minimum, great. right? Like, I love you know, that. You're I'm such sure. an iPhone guy. I close my rings. I love that. I love that. I'm an addict. I'm an addict. He's an addict. All so, of this shit. And for, this is the problem that I have: is you get so much exposure to all of this technology through what we do and what we yeah. see that you kind of go I do you know what I, mean? I just I kind of need to have the quest <laughs> I, you, know. well, you need because you've got to be in touch right yeah you can't be the guy who doesn't have it and I will continue to use that excuse until the day I die <laughs> <laughs> I like that I like that. but hopefully by that point there's loads of good tech for you um so um coming to the end two things I'd love to hear from you um one is to the to the person who right now is sat in their their day job or not in their day job, they're at uni or whatever, but they've just had that moment that wouldn't it be cool if, yeah, wouldn't it be better if, what is the first thing they should do? What's the first thing they should do before they get on that road? Don't be afraid to talk to people about it. I love that. So I think the biggest mistake that people make is they go, you know, you have that, oh, the light bulb has gone off over my head. Wouldn't it be cool if... X. Yeah. 
And then the next thought you have is, I better not tell anyone that ever because they'll steal the idea, right? That, my friends, is the path to ruin. I think the reality is, and you, you said it earlier, for almost every, you know, ideas are like assholes, right? Everyone has one. And um, there are already a bunch of people working. You know, we've seen so many companies come to us and go, we've got this really unique idea for A, B, and C. It's like, I'm really sorry, but like you're the third person working on this I've met today. And and I see more of it now because of the the, the role that I have. So I think the biggest thing is like, if you have a great idea, talk to people, right? And that might be people who could be potential co-founders. It could be people who could be potential advisors. It, it should ideally be people who could be potential customers, right? Because I think it's great to have an idea. It's even better to have an idea that people want. And the only way to figure out if people want it is to go and actually ask them if they if they want it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and and don't be afraid to try and do as much of it as, as you can yourself. Like if you're looking for co-founders, you know, if you have an idea and you're not a technical person, you're going, oh, it's really hard to find a CTO. Like go to a startup weekend, right? Techstars run startup weekends. Thousands of them happen pretty much every year around the world in 160 something countries. You can meet a bunch of people who self-identify as entrepreneurs who are designing developers, et cetera, et cetera. Like, go to that. Can't get to a startup weekend. Loads and loads of places where you can go to build mock-ups of, you know, I mean, Envision, Marvel app, you know, Pop, all of these kind of things where you can build just a mock-up of what you're up to and use that to show it to potential customers. Like, just take some initiative and and, and start doing things and really, really crucially get out there and, and let people know what you're up to and what you want to do and bring people on the journey with that. you. I love that. Um and I absolutely agree. I think you're absolutely right. And then lastly, what do people waste time on that just pisses you off? They turn up and you're like, look, why are you spending time on this? <laughs> financial projections. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, oh, look, yeah. I think there's there's a whole bunch of things. I mean, financial projections obviously are very important to do. I'm, I'm much more interested in actually how people think about how they're going to spend money because that's a bit they can control. You know, for a pre-seed company trying to tell me what they're going to, you know, what revenue they're going to do in five years' time, you know, you might as well read me the plot of Harry Potter and tell me that it's a documentary, right? Like, I think, there, you know, you've got you to focus on things that will actually move the needle for you. And so I think in the early stages of building a company, if you are not talking to customers, if you are not building the product, if you are not spending time working out how to explain what it is that you're building, which goes back to talking to customers, or eating, sleeping, or exercising, you're kind of doing something that that is not necessarily moving the needle. Yeah. As the company gets bigger, of course, then you have to get into maybe it's it's fundraising, maybe it's hiring, maybe it's everything else. But in the early stages of, of a company, what you should be doing is going, do people want this? Which means I've got to go and talk to a bunch of people. What is it that people are going to want? Which means focusing you know, on, on the actual product. How do I explain this to the people who, who might want it? And if you're not doing some of those things, then in many cases, you're not making a material difference to your business. Of course, you know, you have to do a slide deck, you know, 10 slides or whatever. That's not very complicated. There's a thousand templates out there that can show you how to do that. And that's, you know, that'll take a half day or, or a day, right? Um, you know, you can build a, you know, a hundred page business plan if you want. No one's ever going to read it, right? And and people at a pre-seed or seed stage, if anyone who is not a bank manager asks you for a business plan, just ask them why. Like, what are they going to do with it? 
you know what? 50, yeah, I'm, I'm going to grow by twenty percent every month forever. You know, I mean, yeah, it's just, just like it's it's nonsense. You know, people people make this make this stuff up. I think you know over time you 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 start to understand your customer acquisition costs. You start to understand your lifetime, but you start to understand all of these things. But that is a function of having customers who want your product and a product that customers want, right? And so if you're not doing any of those two things to get to that point, then you can have the most beautiful deck and the best projections in the world, and no one will give a shit. I agree. Fantastic. So look, thank you so much for coming. That was a very happy note. No, <laughs> no, no, but actually, but it really, really important. And look, I think to, this to summarise like the, the session. I think you've you've really honed into some of those really important um, challenges that people face, and you articulate it so beautifully. And I'm so glad that you're in this community and you're so outspoken about your opinions because they're great. So thank you. Please keep that up. Um, and look, it's been great having you on. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.